And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. Well, it's not guys take it away today. It's just guy take it away today. <laughs> Welcome into the bat around for the uh, 17th of March, and it is St. Patrick's Day. And I'm Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan, who has now ventured down to Sarasota. He is with the Orioles in spring training and will be for a couple of days as uh, the birds get set to finalize that roster between now and the time the uh, opener of the regular season comes uh, the 29th of this month against the Twins at Camden Yard. So about 12 days to go. Brittany Everett is here with me running the ones and the twos and making sure we get on the air sound uh, as best we can. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. And I'm sure uh, even though you're a Towson gal, you had to love, you just absolutely had to love last night, UMBC, taking down Virginia the first time in men's college basketball that a 16 has beaten a 1. So there is a first time for everything, I assume. What was it like for you to watch that last night? Uh, it was very bittersweet for me because I do VA going all the way and winning. So, so it really so messed br- up my bracket. I was going to say, so your bracket is totally dis- demolished right now, right? Yeah, but... Uh, I have to root for UMBC to keep going now because Baltimore schools, you know, even though them and Towson kind of have a little bit of a Baltimore rivalry, but got to go for them. Yeah, you got to go for them. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, to, 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 to put up the effort that they put up last night against a team that obviously, you know, won the regular season in the ACC, won the ACC tournament. Uh, a team that, yeah, you can say offensively they're a little bit challenged. They don't put a lot of points on the board. But defensively they're as solid as anyone in the country. And yet the retrievers took them apart last night. I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, what shocked me the most is they won by almost 20 points. Yeah, well, they, did, it was they won by 20. Yeah, they so, did yeah. win by 20. Yeah, so it was a blowout, which was wild. Right, and, and I'm sure if you're – you know, the Cavaliers, you're sitting there going, okay, we're down 10, we're down 12, but there's still a lot of time left in the game. Uh, we, we, you know, we put together a little bit of a run ourselves, which we haven't had so to this point in the game. You can probably get yourselves back into it, but uh, what a great, great win for that for that team and that school, and to do what they did was just uh, incredible. So uh, we'll see what happens now with the Retrievers in the next round. But uh, UVA, one and done, and this is a team that a lot of people had. Them and, and earlier from the day before, Arizona going down. Uh, I think those are two of the teams that a lot of people had in the Final Four, which isn't going to happen now. Yeah, I mean, huge upset, but I love it. I like rooting for the <laughs> underdogs, so it makes March Madness even matter. Yeah. Well, Britt, uh, we're going to have some fun today here on the Bat Around, and uh uh, you can check us out on Facebook uh, on the live stream. So go to Facebook, press box online, and you'll be able to uh, click on uh, on the uh, site and uh, see the live stream of the show. You can also uh, listen online as well. 
uh, pressboxonline.com backslash stand the fan. So uh, we'll we'll be uh, here until noon. And coming up on the show today, we'll check in with Stan uh, in a few minutes down in Sarasota. He got into town uh, last night, and uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what we've seen so far from the Orioles in camp as uh, it's winding down. Like we said, twelve days to go, uh, and and you know some some guys are really kind of coming around now. Kevin Gosman, a couple of good starts in a row. We'll talk to Stan about that. Some of the guys we see swinging a hot bat, Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope. Uh, you, you look at Anthony Santander, a Rule 5 guy who the Orioles have to keep, uh, you know, for the first part of the season. Uh, but if he continues to hit, uh, you know, that certainly bodes well for him going forward. Uh, Mark Trumbo now will start the year on the disabled list. We know that. Uh, so what does that do as far as the roster decisions that Buck Showalter has to make as we head toward uh, opening day? Uh, you would think that uh, Pedro Alvarez, uh, as Trumbo is basically your designated hitter, but Pedro Alvarez gives Buck a left-handed option off the bench. Uh, and, and now that he's with the club, we'll see whether or not uh, that comes to fruition by the uh, time uh, the next two weeks is up. But uh, we'll hear from Stan in just a little bit. We'll also check in uh, shortly after 11 with Bill Latson of MLB.com, who does a fabulous podcast uh, for MLB.com. If you, if you haven't heard it, go check it out on the web, Newsmakers and uh uh, Bill talks to just a lot of interesting people from the world of baseball. Uh, so he'll be along uh, to join us shortly after 11. Between Stan and Bill, got a real treat for you. Uh, and that's uh, former Oriole and Yankee broadcaster Ken Singleton will be joining us. And Singy, uh, a fan favorite here in Baltimore, still makes his home down here. But uh, Ken has decided after nearly six decades in the game as a player, and as a broadcaster, that he's going to retire at the end of this year with the Yankees and the Yes Network. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, we'll get a little bit of uh, insight as to why he made that decision and uh, go back to the days uh, when he played here in Baltimore with the Orioles and uh, was a part of some very, very good teams, played under Earl Weaver and uh, uh Kenny was a switch hitter, played right field for the Orioles. Uh, so uh, we'll hear from him. And then uh, in the 1130 uh, time slot, Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, who uh, covers the Nationals on a daily basis. And also, uh, we're going to talk to Chelsea not just about the Nationals, but her experience covering the Olympics, which recently uh, wrapped up. And uh, she had a chance to go over to to uh, Korea and uh, and see the Olympics and cover the Olympics and of course uh, the the big story uh, for many people was the women U.S. women winning the uh, gold medal in hockey uh, after a 20-year hiatus there so uh, first time in 20 years so that that'll be interesting to see what kind of an atmosphere that was like and what that was like to cover so that's what's coming up on the show uh, now as far as the Orioles are concerned. Uh, they are uh, taking on the Blue Jays today in Sarasota. Chris Davis expected to be back in the lineup today uh, for the Birds. Uh, but the game yesterday in Port St. Lucie against the Mets, another solid outing for Andrew Kashner 
And we can't emphasize enough just exactly how important that is because, as we know, this pitching staff kind of uh, up in the air right now as to how it's all going to settle down. Uh, We've seen good starts out of Kevin Gosman. The last two have been stellar. Andrew Kashner yesterday, uh, three innings of work, uh, or fan three, I should say, over five innings of work. Uh, So, again, uh, Kashner uh, has now allowed just one run over nine innings in his two starts. He hit 95 on the gun yesterday. And uh, we mentioned Kevin Gosman uh, in Jupiter back on Thursday. Gosman, one nothing win over the Cardinals, and he threw five scoreless innings. Uh, he went three perfect against the Phillies in the outing before that, so it appears that Kevin Gosman is on track and uh, looking like uh, he's ready to start the season. Chris Tillman's outing. The first time out against live competition, yes, he's been throwing simulated games and on the backfields and things of that nature, uh, but uh, he certainly struggled. Two innings, uh, four runs, three hits, the alarming stat, six walks. So now you got to come down to uh, making decisions there in terms of uh, Tillman. Is he healthy enough? Is his injury plague season from last year behind him? Uh, can he wrap it up and get ready for the season? Uh, he'll have a few more starts uh, before we uh, can determine that. But let's go down to Sarasota right now and bring in uh, the host of this show who decided to get out of the cold weather and go to Sarasota and enjoy some warmth. Stan the Fan joins us from Sarasota. Stan, how are you this morning? How about a few props for my uh, alma mater? We were just talking. UNBC. We were just UNBC. talking about him. We were just talking about him. Uh, 20, 20 point win, twenty point win last night against Virginia, and and Stan, that thing wasn't even close. No, it never was. You you kept waiting for Virginia, uh, as as every number one we've ever seen make their run, and then just sort of you know outclass the competition. And for whatever the reason was last night, Craig, and and listen, I'm a huge Tony Bennett fan. And I'm an even bigger fan of him as a person after his interview with Tracy Wilson last night. I thought he handled that with such class and and really went to the instead of feeling sorry for himself, he went to the real the real issue in sports is sort of and we just interviewed Joe Ehrman on our TV show this week about that this aspect of what is the purpose of sports. And it really, at the end of the day, it's about trying to teach life lessons to young people. And I thought Tony Bennett just handled himself fantastically. Having said that, I think a lot of the blame has to fall on him and his coaching staff for not having their team prepared for what might hit them last night. And they look like they just hadn't ever seen anything uh, like that before, and it was quite remarkable. Well, to me, quite that's remarkable. to me that's the beauty of the tournament each and every each and every year is that number one, uh, no matter how good or how highly ranked you are, you're facing teams in many instances that you don't know much about, you've never seen before. And I think you're absolutely right. That bit Virginia in the butt last night uh, when when you stop to consider uh, that that they never really had an answer for UMBC defensively. And this is a team in Virginia that won the ACC by four games that ran through the tournament and won that. And 
Here, here, here's, here's a team under Tony Bennett that defensively is really good. Yeah, offensively, sometimes challenged, and they certainly were last night. UMDC did a, just a fabulous job against them last night. No question about it, Craig. No question about it. What are the odds of this? I come down to Sarasota every year, and you've never met my friends, the Harrelsons, who, who host me each week. They're old friends of my wife, Jane, from uh, Durham, North Carolina. They used to come down there all the time. And they've hosted me here for six or seven years in a row. So last night we're having dinner here at the house, and she's talking about, this is about uh, 9 o'clock, she's talking about, I've got the K-State game on because that's where I went to college. <laughs> so now they're the same house. What are the odds of having somebody from that graduated from K-State and from UFBC in the same house yeah. uh, this weekend? That's pretty pretty. Pretty far-fetched. Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, obviously we were talking about the fact that from a men's perspective, because it has happened in the women's NCAA tournament before, but from a men's perspective, this is the first time a 16 has ever beaten a 1. And uh, from from a historical perspective, you certainly have to, to like that aspect of it. And uh, I, I really think that, uh, you, you know, Tony Bennett said it best last night, you know, we, we did so many great things during the regular season, historical in a lot of ways for Virginia. Yep. But then to turn around, you know, that's how quickly it can change on you that then yep. you, you're the victim of uh, something that happens historically. Yeah, it, it was just quite remarkable. I, Craig, I mean, I've, you know, I'm 66 years old now. I'm a good bit older than you, but both of us collectively have watched a lot of sports. Well, I'm more, I'm more, Brittany, on, I'm more Brittany's age, really. To be I honest. know that. I know that. <laughs> but I think we could collectively put the, the, on the fingers of one hand the number of truly shocking sports events we've either been at yeah. or witnessed. And I put this up there with uh, the U.S. winning the, uh, you know, the miracle win in the, uh, in the uh, uh, ice hockey. I put this up with Buster Douglas uh, beating Mike Tyson. And I'm telling you, this is right up there. And it is, this is going to be very interesting to see now what UMBC, who is now, let's not forget, they're 25 and 10 now. So, right. I mean, it's it's not like this is a, a bad basketball team that just happened to, you know, pull the rabbit's foot out last night. I mean, it's a pretty solid team, regardless of what you think of the 116 seed. Uh, but uh, last night, Lyles was just, uh, you know, Jarius Lyles, just unbelievable with the 28 points. And, uh he, he ran the show last night, and like I said, defensively, Virginia's very good, but uh, they didn't have an answer for him or the Retrievers last night. Nope. Fascinating. Fascinating right. game to watch, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, how they handle their prosperity uh, tomorrow when they play K-State. All right, we're talking but to... Getting s- back, I know, I know you wanted to have me on to talk a little bit more about baseball than, than what's going on in uh, the NCAA tournament. I, you know, I haven't been to the park yet. I'm just about to leave the, the house to get out there, and I guess I'll see Mike White pitch today, and he's in a pitch battle with Nelson Cortez for this uh, fifth starting spot in the rotation right now. Right, and uh, again, uh, he has pitched fairly well, but I think really from the Orioles' standpoint, some 
some good things that happened this week when you think about, first of all, a seven-game winning streak before the tie yesterday against the Mets in Port St. Lucie, but another solid outing from Andrew Kashner. And uh, you, you couple that along with what you saw the, the, the day before from Kevin Gosman. And uh, that's at least, uh, you know, two guys in this starting rotation who, while the games don't mean anything right now, are pitching pretty well. No question about it, Craig. You know, uh, you, the, the two names, listen, we don't know exactly yet. We, we've got a fairly good vibe that Kashner will, will be a, a solid, solid addition. And listen, anything compared to Miley or Abaldo or the Chris Tillman of 17, anything, you know, that's, that's a runoff of those ERAs is going to be better. Uh, we got a guy there that could, could pitch to a 3-5 to a 4 ERA and keep us in ball games, but it all, to me, still revolves around those two starting pitchers that we're waiting for, uh, and that's Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman. and I think the, uh, the early signs are that both of them may really be able to take that step and progress to be the kind of pitchers that the Orioles have been not only hoping for, Craig, but banking on for the past couple seasons. Uh, and I think it, it all revolves around the two of them as to whether or not the Orioles have any chance to be competitive in 2018. Yeah, what, what concerns me, though, is, is the depth, because everybody's talking about five starters, and yeah, we know you need that, but the other part of it is, for me, is that when, when you're looking at putting that pitching staff together, you really kind of le- need seven or eight guys because there's, yeah. there's going to be days where you need a spot starter. There's going to be some injuries crop up where you need to slot somebody else in there. So, I mean, I, I know that Buck and Dan are hoping that that comes from within. Uh, certainly Alex Cobb is still out there, uh, and that's certainly something to watch over the next 12 days. If, if something comes to fruition there, but uh, I still, I still think, I, I still you, think they need more help. <laughs> you, you make an excellent point, Craig. You know, so much of it is about the, the front five and the rotation. And I heard Billy Epler, the general manager of the Angels, last spring. I was driving around Sarasota, and I heard him on a national talk show talking about well, we'd like to have like nine or ten deep in starting options, and because they were talking about boy. The host was going to the opinion of, well, it looks like you've got some surplus there that you could trade. Uh-huh. And boy, was he ever right. And you're absolutely right. We, we focus so much on piecing together who that five is. The fact that we're counting on a Wright or a Cortez and Tillman to step up to be four and five is a sign that the Orioles still don't have the depth. Because listen. Kevin Gosman or Dylan Bundy could do what I say, take that next step and be great. All of a sudden, you got to stress a strained forearm. You're going to miss three or four weeks, and you are really behind the eight ball uh, unless you have some depth in your rotation. Right, and it's going to be paramount for these guys uh, really to, to, to be able to go five, six innings in the early part of the season, especially five innings, because – the last thing you want, I mean, I think this bullpen is still going to be a very talented bullpen, even though Zach Britton isn't going to be back for a couple of months into the season. But, but nonetheless, you can, you can wear guys out if your starters aren't giving you the help to get deep into games or at least midway through the game before you turn it over to the bullpen. The bullpen can become taxed pretty quickly. Yeah. 
the one thing I do like about this bullpen, though, you know, it's it's bothered me during the off season that they didn't go out and get one more relief pitcher with the the Britain injury, and I also think Craig that a lot of times getting that that extra relief pitcher is a guy that could then allow you, let's say Britain comes back and you know you have no intentions of or ability to re-sign Brock next year, if you have that one other arm in the bullpen, you can possibly look upon Brock as a chip to trade. And But I have to tell you that this is where Dan, to me, has really excelled this uh, Arojo, the kid they picked up from the Cubs, the Rule 5 guy. He right. has looked like a man... Uh, among men, uh, and I think he's been a really strong addition. And for me, I looked at Cortez coming in the other day against the Yankees in the bullp- out of the bullpen, and I thought he looked sensational out of the pen. And a lot of young pitchers, it takes them a while to learn how to get hitters out two and three times, but boy, if the, that batter is only seeing them once on a given day—that's a big they deal. Do pretty well. Yeah, and Arojo, uh, one—you know—he's he's won a game already in the spring. He's pitching to an ERA of three, uh, six innings. He's given up two runs on four hits. But the big thing is, Stan, for me, just one walk and seven strikeouts. So he's commanding the zone and he's finding a way to get people out. No question about it, Craig. No question about it. Let me ask you about some of the guys uh, in this lineup. Uh, and, and, of course, one thing we found out this week is that Mark Trumbo is uh, not going to be with the team or to start the team, uh, you know, on the active roster. He's going to be on the disabled list. Uh, but my, my way of looking at that is somewhat of a little bit of a blessing in disguise in that, number one, you I, get I, taking the words right out of my mouth. I never root for a guy to get hurt. I'll let you continue in a second, but I'm thinking the same thing. I think this gives them the opportunity to look at Santander a lot more as a guy that let's see what he can do rather than let's just keep him up here for 44 days. Right, exactly. And like I said, it kind of a blessing in disguise because not just for Santander, but also who, who, who has to be on the roster for, like you said, those first 45 days. But the other thing is this probably opens up a little bit of a spot for Pedro Alvarez, who's here, and that gives Buck, from a designated hitter standpoint, a left-handed bat that he can use and a guy who's a proven major league uh, bat. I couldn't agree more with you. Listen, I, I love the year that Trumbo had two years ago. I would have ascribed to letting him walk rather than tying up, you know, what at the time seemed like a very good deal. At 13 a year, a year later, that doesn't look so smart, does it? No. Um, so, so in other words, I, again, never, I never root for anybody, uh, even players I don't really like, and I have nothing against Mark Trumbo, but I'm really hopeful that we get a, a longer look at Santander and Alvarez. I don't understand quite why Alvarez each year has to reprove himself on a minor league deal, and Trumbo got $13 million. Right. I uh, would have rather find, found somebody in the middle of those two and paid him 6 or $7 million, uh, in terms of the club's estimation. I just don't see that big a difference between Trumbo and Alvarez. You face, you face right-handed starting pitching 65 to 70% of the time, uh, and he's a potent left-handed bat. Right. So I think we'll find... With Colby Rasmus, who I don't love the player, 
but I love the skill set against right-handed pitching, just like I like Danny Valencia facing left-handed pitching. Exactly. Um, it, you know, it, it's hard, this harbors back to Earl Weaver and Casey Stengel. It doesn't take a genius to know that you can hit better against the other-handed pitching. Right, and you know what you said. You said something very interesting to me in that comment, and is that you know I'm not a I'm not in love with Colby Rasmus, and I can understand that. But from a from a defensive standpoint, he's a plus outfielder, and if he gives you anything offensively, then that's even more of a plus. You 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 think about him and Gentry, and 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 the fact that on this team there is an abundance of outfielders, maybe not necessarily the kind you'd like to have, but. Right. There, there is open competition there. Yeah, no question about it. You know, it'll be interesting. The Orioles don't, you don't often hear, the Orioles have not been hit with the problem, Craig, like the Cubs with Chris Bryant, where they've got a prospect that's so good, but yet they go, let's send them down for three weeks to buy that extra year of free agency. So the point I'm making is about Austin Hayes. You wonder if a little bit of why the club would like him to play at AAA is to protect that seventh year where they, they he's still arbitration eligible, not a free agent. But the other thing is, let's not forget the, the good old days when it wasn't always dictated by your, your salary clock, so to speak. It was dictated of whether or not you were ready for the big leagues. And I think while I'm excited very much so about Austin Hayes. The idea of him spending six to ten weeks in the minor leagues at AAA and really kind of dominating and being ready to step right into a pennant race or a, a race for a wild card, that's pretty exciting to contemplate. You right. know? Yeah, it is. Uh, let me ask you this, too, because uh, we have a few more minutes with Stan, the fan who is now down in Sarasota. And how long are you down there for with the Orioles? I may stay a month. Well, I understand. I'm here for I'm here for one week. Okay. I'm here for one week. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't trust you to do two shows in a row by yourself. Oh, is, is that what it is? Okay, good enough. A yeah. uh, couple of hot bats that are on this uh, team right now. Yeah. And we talked about Santander, but when you think about what Manny has done, and and I've heard a lot of people say this, and it gets cliche sometimes. But in a contract year and a walk year and the fact that the, the free agency is coming his way at the end of this year, Manny Machado, to me, is a guy going to be on a mission this year. Well, and you know, I, I, I have a great amount of respect for Buck Showalter. And all during the, these winter months, I've been writing and talking about the fact that I didn't understand what was in it for the Baltimore Orioles to move Machado to shortstop and take a great third baseman out of your lineup and turn him into a real good shortstop and then take a, an adequate shortstop and wonder what you're going to get at third. But that's the reason that Buck Showalter makes the big bucks and the reason he's managed to, at four different locales on the major league scene. Um, I think the, the brilliance of this move is that he is really saying, okay, I may only get Machado for one more year, but I want the best Manny Machado that I can get. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the move to shortstop has sort of re-energized him, and re-energized the player that really didn't need a lot of re-energizing. And, and I, think, um, I, think from great, a, you know. I think from a fan standpoint, everybody looks at it and says, well, how can you not deal this guy and get something in return 
you know, and the price may be too high. Other people, other teams aren't going to necessarily want to give up what they have for Manny until maybe that trade deadline rolls around if the Orioles are out of it. But again, point well taken in that. If you have Manny Machado, you've got one of the best players and the best offensive players, certainly, and defensive players in the game of baseball. It can only help your team be better. And I understand it all comes down to pitching, but it's hard to take a Manny Machado out of your lineup and expect you to be, you know, a, a, as good as you can be. Yeah, no question about it, Craig. No question about it. I just, my, my upsetness, listen, it's pretty darn obvious that this is going to be Manny's last, uh, last hurrah. Wait, wait a minute, orange. wait a minute. Time out. Is that a word? Upsetness? Uh, yeah, there is no <laughs> such a word, upsetness. Okay. Yes. I just wondered. Uh, and I majored, I majored in English literature at UNBC, <laughs> the home of the retrievers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but my upsetness gets even doubled down with the prospect of losing Jonathan Scope, not at the end of this year, but in the exact same scenario a year later, without the sense that you've engaged to try. I understand now that for whatever the reasons are, Machado is in a different stratosphere. I don't understand the thinking, and this is amongst baseball people, why you couldn't have made the decision that we've got something really special in Jonathan Scope 12 months ago and really tried to nail him down on a six, seven year contract in the rough net Odor range because mm-hmm. he's a much, much better player. But suppose you had scope to look forward to for six years at $60 million right now. You'd be looking, you'd be looking darn good. Yeah. Austin A's, Chance Cisco, and the rest of what they have. Uh, instead, they've let that one get by the wayside, and I think they've got a very difficult situation. Because I think Jonathan Scope is real close to being, if Manny Machado is a two fifty to three hundred million dollar ball player, I think we'd agree that Jonathan Scope is who's already knocked in a hundred runs in a season, something Manny Machado, because of injury, has not done. Um, I think we're looking at a hundred and fifty million dollar ball player right now in Jonathan Scope at the end of this year. All right. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Stan, a fan. What do you got on the rest of the show today? Uh, we got Kenny Singleton coming up after our break, after we get done wrapping up with you. And then yep. Bill, Bill Latson will be along uh, shortly after 11 to talk a little bit about his podcast and what he's working on. And then uh, I just got a text message from Chelsea Janes, uh, who is scheduled to be with us at 1135. And uh, that was the other thing I was going to ask you about was how do you feel about the Nationals signing Jeremy Hellickson to a minor league deal with a chance to make the club? Well, I, you know, Craig, uh, on, the, on, on the face of it, I, I'd sure feel a lot better if I were a Nationals fan and they had signed Alex Cobb. But I understand the economics of it. And Jeremy Hellickson, let's not forget, is two years removed from being or one year removed from having accepted that the Philadelphia Phillies, who just signed Arietta, offered him the qualifying offer last year, which he accepted, of $17.4 million. I'm sure he's going to be toiling for the Nationals for a lot less money. Um, and if they get the, the good Jeremy Ellickson, he's a guy who can keep your team in, especially in the National League, yeah. without the designated hitter. I think he's a guy that can, I think he can be a serviceable guy for them. All right, Stan the Fan down in uh, Sarasota. Enjoy the weather. You got out just in time because uh, come Monday night, Tuesday up here, we're supposed to get some snow. 
and uh, we'll be thinking about you and saying lovely things about you. <laughs> I guess we lost Stan. How about that? Just like that. We're going to take a short time out, take a break, come back, and when we do, we'll hook up with uh, Ken Singleton, former Oriole and Yankee broadcaster, who is calling it a career. Uh, Kenny's 70 years old, and uh, he spent most of uh, almost uh, six decades in this game. We'll talk to Ken about uh, what he thinks the future holds. Coming back right after this. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the ultimate man cave nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out, and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave, all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. Looking for an exciting new crossover vehicle that has the legroom and cargo space of an SUV? Then you need to look at the all-new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi. Wow! Once you get behind the wheel of the new Eclipse Cross, you won't want to let go. Available in all-wheel drive, the new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's comes equipped with a 7-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, plus head-up display and adaptive cruise control. And right now, Jerry's has a $1,000 dealer discount available. Do it. Go see the New Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road or online at jerrysmitsubishi.com. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on facebook.com slash pressboxsports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com impact. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army.
And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan this week. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to Stan about very quickly to get his comment on the, on on just the difference between the offensive end of the Orioles and the pitching end of the Orioles uh, as we head toward opening day. The Orioles this spring have a 275 collective team batting average. That's the third best among American League teams. They've hit 30 home runs. That's third best. 127 runs scored. That is third best. 800 OPS. That ranks fourth. 79 walks. That ranks third. Now, the, the other side of that, though, is the pitching aspect. The Orioles, uh, a 4.96 ERA. That ranks 11th. They're 12th in whip at 1.48. 11th in total strikeouts, 156, 278 uh, batting average against the pitching staff. That's ranks 12th, and they've given up 16 home runs. So, obviously, the Orioles looking for pitching. They're hoping that Kevin Gosman and Dylan Bundy can set the stage for what they've gotten out of Cashner so far in two starts in this spring. You're still waiting to see what you got out of Chris Tillman. And then uh, the fifth starter, of course, up in the air. We'll get a chance to see Mike Wright today as uh, the Orioles take on the Blue Jays in Sarasota. But joining us on the phone right now is a former Oriole and now Yankee broadcaster Ken Singleton. Singy, how are you today? Greg, how are you? Good I'm, morning. I'm doing well. And, you know, we got to start it off right off the bat, and that's uh, the fact that a few weeks ago a story emerged that uh, announcing your retirement from broadcasting. Now, this is a uh, the better part of six decades, Ken, for you. What made you decide that you would step away from uh, the game in terms of broadcasting it for the Yankees? Well, there's a number of things, Craig, to be honest with you. You're right. I've been, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I've been in the major leagues and broadcasting uh, close to 40 years now, well over 40 years. So uh, I just felt uh, my daughter's graduating from Penn State this spring, and I thought it was time for me to graduate as well. There's there's a lot of things that I wanted to do in the summer that uh, basically in the past I haven't been able to do. Uh, you know, we have grandchildren now, and I want to hang out with them and we'll watch my grandson play ball and uh, help them learn this great game. And just, just various things like that. I, I think another thing that uh, kind of solidified my thoughts about this, I kind of came to the conclusion during the winter that uh, my wife and I have been down here in Florida. We have a home down here since uh, third week of January. And we've been doing so many things, outdoor things, going to festivals and, you know, just walking on the beach and things like that. And these are things, Craig, that, uh, you know, I haven't been able to do over the years, and I really enjoy them. So, um I felt it was time, uh, after being with the Yankees for uh, 22 years now, this is my 22nd year with them, uh, I just felt it was time to, to uh, you know, I told my boss that this was going to be it. Um, some people, the Yankee fans were kind of upset when I made the announcement <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, a lot of them, uh, uh, of course, have uh, said some very nice things about me. Uh, they, they all want me to come back or change my mind. But uh, I've, I've always told myself, too, that uh, I wasn't going to be in the booth forever. Uh, I've, I've seen broadcasters, and I think you've seen it too, uh, guys that stay too long. Mm-hmm. And they, they just not uh, what they were during their heyday. So I thought that uh, that was never going to be me, and now I'm going to get out. And, you know, 4th of July, you might see me in Ocean City. You know, 4th of July, you might see me uh, on a golf course somewhere. If you think it's me, you might be right. So that's, that's, who knows? 
This is starting next year, of course, not this year. And that's a good thing. And, I, and I'll tell you what, you, you said something very interesting in that, and, and that is that, you know, fans were kind of upset with you, to find, or not with you, but the, to, to, uh-huh. on, on your decision. Uh, and, and immediately, and, and I say that because down here in Baltimore, a lot of fans on talk shows and things of that nature were saying, well, maybe he'll come back to Baltimore <laughs> and do some <laughs> broadcasting. But I guess that's out the window, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's not going to happen. I think this is a long time ago. Uh, I'll be around Baltimore because that's, uh, that's where our main home is. But uh, uh, we'll be splitting time between uh, Maryland and, uh, and Florida. So well, uh, if they see me on golf courses around Baltimore, it would probably be me. Well, <laughs> a, a, a career that had you with the Mets and the Expos. And, uh, of course, I cover both teams in this area. I cover the Orioles, mm-hmm. obviously, and I also cover the Nationals. And the Nationals coming from Montreal. Uh, you played up there. Uh, so, so can you give us a little bit of, uh, maybe a, a feeling for what the fan base was like up in Montreal? Uh, because obviously Frank managed them, uh, and brought them to DC and we always heard about the emotion of the fans and things of that nature when they found out they were losing their club. Yeah, that's true. But I, you know, I think you would agree that every city kind of feels that way when they they see a team leave. Yeah. You know, I, I lived in Baltimore when the Colts left and how, how upset were the Colts fans? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's the same sort of thing, but there are things that lead up to that that make that team move. And in Montreal, it was, uh, uh, a combination of things. They just didn't have the, uh, financial wherewithal. Every spring you came to spring training and you knew which players weren't going to be back the next year because they couldn't afford them. Um, they needed a new stadium, a new venue. Um, this is all very interesting because now you get the feeling that they might get another shot at it, and mm-hmm. maybe not in the too distant future. Uh, they have some people up there with some deep pockets. They already have a place where they will put a new stadium. They can play in the old one until the new stadium is built. Uh, they're, they're, I get a feeling if certain things don't work out in areas, uh, well, I think Oakland's a little further along than Tampa Bay. But if the things don't work out in Tampa Bay, and I see a lot of similarities here in Tampa Bay as to what happened in Montreal. So, I'd, uh, so I'd, it, there's, that possibility remains that the Tampa Bay might be moving one day. Although I will say this about this particular area, this is where I am now in the Tampa Bay area, that their TV and radio ratings are, are pretty good among the best mm-hmm. in baseball. It's just that they don't get the financial backing from the uh, community and they don't have the stadium they play in is, is not really a major league stadium, if you ask me. Right, kind of a mausoleum, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anybody, anybody that's been down there knows that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when obviously fans in our area remember you uh, from all the good teams that you played a part uh-huh. of. But, you know, the other thing I think you were very fortunate as a player, you had a chance to play with Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken. And those two always talk about their relationship and how close they were. But, mm-hmm. but you had, and, and Cal always credits Eddie for teaching him the game and what it was like to post up all the time. What do you remember most about playing with those two? Uh, well, I, I think it's sort of an Oriole tradition. And I, I, I go back to when I joined the team, and Brooks Robinson was the, was the man. Uh huh. And he kind of passed that down to the next generation of Orioles were going to lead the team. And then uh, Cal uh, was taught the same thing by Eddie. So I, I think that um, 
to me, they're, they're, well, of course, they're Hall of Famers. Yeah. But you could almost see that they were on that path when they both started out. Eddie came a little earlier in 77, and, and the Cal came along in 82. Now, they were both rookies of the year. Cal went on to be the MVP the next year. I think Eddie at one time had the most votes for MVP without winning the award. <laughs> so uh, it's unfortunate he never won it because he felt he deserved it. But uh, they're, they're, these were two players that right away you could see were well-schooled. They knew what they were doing. And when they made mistakes, they didn't make them again. And it kind of fed off of each other. That year we won the World Series in 83, uh, those were the two main players in the league. Uh, I know that uh, Cal won the MVP that year. Uh, Eddie might have been second or third. I think he might have been second. But uh, uh, they, they both, if you ask me, they both kind of deserved it. If it would have been a tie, uh, I, I wouldn't argue with it. Yeah, and then, of course, 82, where you, lo you lose that last series yeah. against the, the Brewers and Harvey's walls and Harvey Wallbangers, and then, then the next year, you know, Earl retires or, or steps away from the game for a couple of years, and then Joe Aldebelli takes over, and that team was basically kind of Earl's team. But you guys kind of knew after you lost that <laughs> series against the Brewers that there was nothing going to stop you in, in, in 83. Yeah, and it's been my experience over the years that when a team comes really close, that they're very uh, difficult to deal with the next year. Uh, we lost that last game. Uh, I can't tell you disappointment I had after that. That still remains, well, either that or losing the seventh game of the World Series to the Pirates. So those two games are the most disappointing that I've ever played in, in my career. Of course, uh, the next year, you're right. I thought in 83, we had more injuries to deal with and uh, just problems on the team uh, through injuries and uh, guys out for a certain amount of time, but we were much more determined the next year and nothing was going to stop us. And uh, after we won, I think we realized as a group, we were getting to be an older team then outside of uh, Cal and Eddie, that uh, this was our last chance to do it. And uh, we finally put it over the top. And uh, the next year was my very last year of playing. And then the next year after that, I was in the broadcast booth and, you know, this year is going to be my last. So yeah. I've been around baseball for a long time. Yeah, and uh, we're all better off for it, to, to tell Thank you the you. truth. Thank you. And I got to tell you, you know, when you turn around, you think about winning that thing in 83, and then the following year, uh, the Tigers get off to a 35-5 and five start. Oh. That, that Did that have any any uh, push for you to retire after that year? <laughs> no, well, it was, first of all, uh, 84 is my worst year. It was the only year I ever spent on the disabled list. Mm -hmm. I spent some time on the DL. And I just felt that, uh, you know, I was slowing down. My bat speed wasn't quite as it was. Uh, I was fouling pitches off that I used to hit. And, I, you know, I always told myself that uh, I wasn't going to stick around. I had some opportunities to go to spring training the next year. I said, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to screw up all the good things that I had done on the field. And in a way, this is a retirement from broadcasting is the same way. Uh, I know I can still go. I, I can still do the job. But uh, there's things that are pulling me in the opposite direction that are very strong. And um, uh, I'm, once I step away, my last game was going to be in Boston. This year the Yankees closed the season in Boston. And it's kind of ironic because the last series I was in an Oriole uniform was in Boston. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's kind of strange how things work out. But uh, Just from that, last, uh, game, that last game in Boston, I'll be ready to walk away. Just from a player's perspective, 
Uh-huh. How how tough is a is that decision to make? Well, like you said, now from a broadcasting standpoint, and and you're in a different time in your life. You've got family uh-huh. and and grandkids that you want to you want you want to hang out with. But mm-hmm. from a player standpoint, there's not many players that don't feel like they still can't get it done. What tells you this is it? I'm done. I think that uh, number one, baseball players have a competitive nature. They, they play this game almost every day. So you can either go home a winner or a loser every day. And fortunately for me, I was on games like you mentioned in Baltimore. The 10 years I was, we won more games than any other team. And to me, once I felt that I wasn't able to live up to the competitive nature I had before or put the numbers up that I, I could before, I wasn't going to stick around and hit 220 or 230 for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and just feel like I was taking somebody's money. To me, I wanted to earn it. You know, I, I was a 282 career hitter. I was on base 38%, 39% of the time. career. So that's, that's the type of player I wanted to be. I wanted to be somebody who was a factor, a guy who was a tough out when he came to the plate. Uh, and those things were kind of dwindling away. So I, I just told myself, nah, it's, if it's not you... It's, you're going to be somebody else, and I don't want to be somebody else. I want to be Ken Singleton. That the opponents, when I come up there, they look over and say, "Oh, we got some trouble brewing here." So I, and that was uh, kind of dissip- dissipating. So it, I told myself, "Let's do something else." Fortunately for me, the very next year, um, I was hired to do baseball games for Montreal and Toronto, and I was there for 12 years before going to the Yankees for the last 22. We're talking with Ken Singleton, former Oriole and now Yankee broadcaster, who is uh, retiring after uh, this season is over, uh, hanging up the microphone. And, uh, Kenny, i got to ask you something. You were in Montreal, but <laughs> way, way before uh, the, the, the strike, uh, you know, in 94. Uh, yeah. now, now, that's a team that many feel could have won the World Series. Vlad Guerrero and, and all the stars that were on that team. And, mm-hmm. it, and it never came to fruition because the World Series got canceled. So that strike really kind of hurt the people in Montreal. But I, I go back to the strike that you were involved in in, in 81. But, yeah. then, but then you come off that strike, and the first game is the All-Star game in Cleveland. There's a packed house at Municipal Stadium. You hit a home run, wind up getting the MVP – of that all-star game. What are your recollections of that and how that all unfolded and, and baseball coming back after the fans were obviously upset? Yeah, well, that particular year, Craig, I got off to a fantastic start. Usually I was a slow starter, but really started as the weather warmed up. So did I, but this year I, maybe the weather was a little warmer earlier in the year, but for April, I hit four seventy two in April with seven home runs. So I, <laughs> I was off to a great start, but the storm clouds were brewing as far as the strike was concerned, and eventually they, the strike did come, and we missed 52 days in the regular season. And, and to me, once we, we struck, I thought, we're not playing anymore this year. Uh-huh. But we did come back, uh, did get to the All-Star game. Uh, one thing I can correct you on, Gary Carter was the MVP that year. In the, in the oh, that, that's game. right, Gary Carter, you're right, you're right, I'm sorry. Yeah, I could have been, but it's kind of a funny story because I did hit the home run, uh, we were winning uh, late in the ball game. I kept my uniform on because I thought I had a chance to be the MVP and I might be interviewed after the game. <laughs> so uh, I, I kept my uni on, 
uh, I went out to, I was in the clubhouse and I went out to the dugout. And as soon as I put my foot in the dugout, Mike Schmidt hit a home run off Raleigh fingers and nationally took the lead. Yeah. I turned around. It was about the seventh or eighth minute. I turned right around, went back to the clubhouse, took my uniform off and Gary Carter hit another home run. And he, he, uh, he got the MVP of that, uh, all-star game, but it was, it was a great experience. All the all-star games are, um, I, I will say this. Uh, as relates to 94 in Montreal, and, and you brought it up. Once that strike hit in 94, that was the uh, death knell for baseball in Montreal. It, it started to go downhill from that point on. Mm-hmm. Because the fans up there thought that it was some sort of conspiracy to not let them get in the World Series. And it appeared as though they were going to play the Yankees that year, which would, in their eyes would have been the ultimate. But uh, unfortunately, it never happened. World Series was canceled. Uh, fans decided in Montreal not to get the ball game from that stand, from that point on. Uh, the players started to leave uh, because the team couldn't afford them anymore. Uh, great players like Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom, uh, Delano Shields, Moises Alou. Uh, these, these were fantastic players and that, they were having a great day. I think they had about a six game lead in August on the Atlanta Braves, uh, who everybody knows how to brave, how good they were in the nineties. So that Expo team was really put together. Really put together. Uh, Kenny, mm-hmm. our last uh, remaining moments with Ken Singleton. Uh, when you think about the your career as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I remember how great a hitter you were with the Orioles because I was mm-hmm. a fan back then. Uh, but, but in terms of your overall career, uh, most satisfying moment, was it? Was it? Was it eighty three in that World Series? Uh, yeah, I played fifteen years, and we we I was only on one team that won the World Series, and that's that's why you go out there. Uh, I wish they had had a wild card situation back then, <laughs> because I was on Oriole teams in the ten years I was there. We won the we won the division twice, but we finished second six times. And you won a hundred yeah. games once and finished second. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we won 100 games in 1980 and went home. Yeah. Uh, to me, if there had been a wild card, and we would have won more championships if there had been a wild card situation in those days. Uh, now, I will admit now, it's a little tougher to, to get to the World Series and win it because there's more layers of playoffs. But still, I wish we'd had the opportunity. Um, I guess winning in 83 is great. I, I will say this. Uh, something that will always live and be, Craig, is that the fans of Baltimore treated me and my family so well. That's one reason why I still maintain a residence there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I cannot ever remember in the 10 years I was there being booed by the home fans. Now, on the road, you expect it, and it kind of gives you incentive to shut those people up. But the cheers are the incentive that you get at home to do well. And uh, there were plenty of those. And maybe it was because we had such good teams, and we did. Um, Maybe it's uh, the reason why, you know, players like Bumbury and I uh, still live in the area. Tim Tippy Martinez still live in the area because it's uh, it's great. Although I will say I'm getting tired of wintertime, and that's why I'm in Florida. <laughs> Most, you know, starting in January. But, but still, the people were were fantastic. Oh. Oriole fans are, are tremendous fans. I kind of wish them the best. Uh, although since I've been with the Yankees, it's hard to do. Um, 
because my job's easier when the Yankees win. Well, I got to, fu- you know, it's funny because Stan the Fan is now down in Sarasota with the Orioles for a couple of days. Uh-huh. And I told him, I said, here we are in Baltimore and, and you're getting to be in the middle to late March and we're expecting snow the next uh, oh, two no, days or so. Yeah, that. absolutely. But uh, I got a last thing. And then, you know, Earl Weaver, obviously the mm-hmm. Earl of Baltimore, playing for him, you know, Davey Johnson. Uh, who, who obviously managed the Orioles in the mid '90s, and then managed the Nationals, and also uh, you, you think about what he says about Earl in terms of way ahead of his time, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of guys who say that Earl Weaver was way ahead of this Saber Matrix stuff, way you know, long before uh, it became yeah. it became the thing in Major League Baseball. Uh, just recollections of Earl, how he managed the game, and how good was he? Uh, the best manager I ever played for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be very, very tough. I think fans knew that. He was very demanding of his players. He would embarrass you in front of the whole team if you made a glare, if you made mistakes. Uh, and that was one reason you played so hard. You, you, he made you focus. Uh, you're right about the Saber metrics. Uh, my first year... Uh, two days into the he called me into the office, and I figured, gee, I'm in trouble already. I just got here two days ago, <laughs> and he told me I was going to lead off. And I had never let off any of the minor leagues or up to the time in the major leagues. I'd already had a year in Montreal where I drove 100 runs and scored 100 runs, but he said it was because I walk a lot, and I want you to be just get on base. Uh-huh. He says, you walk a lot, Bobby Gritch walks a lot. You'll bat first, Bobby Gritch will bat second. I walked 118 times that year, uh, still the team record. Gritch walked 107. My very first time up in the American League, we were in Detroit, opening day. It was freezing. I walked on four pitches. I went to third on a base hit and scored on Lee May's first at bat. He had a three-run homer in the American League. When I got back to the dugout, um, as I'm, I've scored the first run of the season and I'm walking past Earl to sit on the bench and he looked at me and says, I can't tell you exactly what he said, but he said, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Just that's right. Get on base. And, uh, you know, I, I was on base over 40% of the time that year. So, uh, I, t- I tried to do my job. Eventually, uh, Bumbry started to come on as a lead off and he had a little, you know, a lot of speed, a lot, certainly a lot more than I did. And, um, he became the leadoff hitter, and then they dropped me down in the lineup where I could drive in more runs. Right, but uh, uh, that's how Earl was ahead of the, ahead of the game, and certainly well deserved that he, he's in the Hall of Fame. The last time I ever talked to Earl um, was at Eddie Murray's uh, statue unveiling, mm-hmm. and it was just he and I. And uh, he looked at me and said, uh, "Singing, you you had a fantastic career." And, he, and then he said, remember, Earl doesn't hand out compliments. Very no, often. no. And, and he said, thanks for playing hard for me. And it really kind of threw me back a little bit. But then I, I told him, I said, look, Earl, uh, uh, you made me a better player. Um, I played hard so you wouldn't yell at me. And he started laughing. And I, I did, too. So that, that was sort of a moment that we had. And, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, he passed away. And... Um, but, you know, he's a legend in Baltimore and should be. His winning percentage is up there among the greatest of all managers. And, I, and I'm sure just hearing that from him 
probably yeah. in your own mind solidifies everything you did as a player. Well, I tried. You know, I was trying. I, I, I think that, that it was. I was blessed to be on teams with, uh, you know, future Hall of Famers and, and Jim Palmer and Brooks and Eddie and Cal. But the rest of the players on the teams that I played were all very good players. They were all smart. We didn't make many mistakes. We knew Earl wouldn't tolerate them, and it, it would set them off. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we tried to play as well as we could on a daily basis. We had excellent pitchers. Uh, when, when you're starting with Palmer and McGregor and Flanagan and Dennis Martinez, Mike Bodiger, pitchers like that, um, you know, then Tiffy Martinez, Don Stanhouse, you know, Ross Grimsley, these are all very good major league pitchers. And when you start the game and the pitcher you have on the mound is as good or better than the other team, mm-hmm. during the course of the season, the, other, the league can't stay with you. It's hard for them to keep up with you. Because your pitching is that good. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to score six, seven runs a game to win. You know, three might do it, maybe four. And that, that's, that's the way we were. Earl loved his home runs. Uh, we, hit a, we hit quite a few, not the way they do now. But uh, we, we did hit our share. And, that, uh, you know, the defense was always good because he wouldn't tolerate poor play on defense. Uh, so that, that was... That was our, our hallmark and our trademark. That, that's how we got things done. And, uh, you know, in a way, I kind of wish the Orioles would get back to that sort of thing now, but they just don't have the pitchers. Yeah, I think we all do. Kenny Singleton, uh-huh. uh, former Oriole and now Yankee broadcaster, calling it a career after this year with the Yanks up in the booth. Thanks so much for the time uh, today. It was a real great pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Craig. It was my pleasure. All right. Ken Singleton, everybody. And uh, we are going to go to a break right now. Yeah, we can do a break right now. When we get back, uh, he's still wearing his retriever's uh, hat or face or whatever. (laughs) Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio here on Press Box, Monday through Friday, 10 to noon. He'll be joining us along with Bill Latson from MLB.com. And uh, we'll be back right after this. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the ultimate man cave nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. This week on 
Section 336. Stan the Fan Charles comes in studio to join us, and we play a game of Who Am I? Robert Andino. No. <laughs> no. Not, also not in 2013. Um, Am I Brad Bergeson? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good guess, but no. Am I TJ McFarlane? That guy Am had I... a relationship with that guy, and that guy yeah, was that's, defending that guy. That's like in the past week. Hunter. Yeah, in the headlines on okay. the past week. All right, you... am I Jim Johnson? Yes. yes. Find Section 336 on PressBoxOnline.com, Section336.com, or Apple Podcasts. What we do with our lives defines us. So consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.GoArmy.com impact. There's strong, then there's Army Strong, paid for by the United States Army. Looking for an exciting new crossover vehicle that has the legroom and cargo space of an SUV? Then you need to look at the all-new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi. Wow! Once you get behind the wheel of the new Eclipse Cross, you won't want to let go. Available in all-wheel drive, the new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's comes equipped with a 7-inch touchscreen with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, plus head-up display and adaptive cruise control. And right now, Jerry's has a $1,000 dealer discount available. Do it. Go see the New Eclipse Cross at Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road or online at jerrysmitsubishi.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins Heat Turp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com Happy St. Patrick's Day. This is the Battle Round. I'm Craig Heist in for Stan the Fan and we have been joined in studio by Glenn Clark of Glenn Clark Radio heard every Monday through Friday here at PressBoxOnline.com, and uh, you are basking. Kind of basking, 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 basking in the glow you know? of the kidding? first in men's college basketball, as I was reminded today by Milton Kent, uh, <laughs> that this has happened before in the women's NCAA tournament game, uh, but a one going down to a 16. That's the greatest thing ever. It's, it's the, greatest the greatest thing, thing ever, ever, huh? I wrote about it this morning at uh, PressBoxOnline.com. Look, I, you know, if, if Texas Southern was the 16 that beat a one seed, I would have been jazzed about it because I'm a nerd and I love basketball and I love uh, the NCAA tournament, the whole thing. But this is just, like, you know, your team wins a championship and that's cool and all, right? But, like, you're experiencing the same thing that every other city has experienced. You're experiencing the same thing that, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. It doesn't take anything away from it. This is literally the first time this has ever happened, and it's just the most amazing thing ever. And no matter what, um, I'm a UMBC alum. It'll always be the the, the <laughs> thing that 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 school did that uh, they were the first to ever do. I don't know, man. I can't get over it. I can't get over how emotional it was. How truly like 
how really, really special that moment was last well, night. I'm covering the Caps game last night, mm-hmm. and then I see somebody on Facebook say, how in the blankety, blankety, blank right. can UMBC be beating Virginia? So I go to the computer, and I look it up, and they're up 15 with about yeah. four minutes to play. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding well, me? Well, I did the bit, so as a baseball guy, you'll love this. I did the bit at halftime where I went on and I said, Treat it like a no-hitter. Don't talk about it. Right. Don't talk about it. Just pretend like it's not happening. Right. Do all the... Because I'm a superstitious fella. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, do the whole thing where we just pretend like it's not happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Because you don't want to be the guy that's, like, getting all jazzed up and getting all excited, and then, you know, it comes crashing back to earth. Right. And so I said, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tweet. I'm not going to anything. I'm just going to sit here and watch the game. And somewhere around the final media timeout, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Like, this is for real. Like, this isn't, I'm not going to have this stolen away from me. This is the real deal. And then it, it just sort of all came out at once. The floodgates kind of opened from there. I went and woke up my son, made him uh, come watch the end of the game with me. Oh, he looked real good on that picture. Yeah, too, I, he definitely it. was not in any way understanding of why he was awake in that moment and what daddy was doing. But, like, my father would have done that with me, so I feel like it was important that I uh, do that. For I him. did that for him and so that one day he's going to know that he was uh, he witnessed uh, he witnessed history. I mean, yeah, it was just... And, it was, and he hates you this morning for waking you no, up. No, <laughs> he doesn't have any recollection of it. He came in running into my room at 6 a.m. and okay. was screaming, screaming. Let's go back out to the phone lines because we've got Bill Latson from MLB.com on the phone. Bill, good morning. How are you? How's it going, Craig? Uh, thanks for having me. Good. Did you happen to see any of that last night? I know, I know, you're not necessarily a big basketball fan in, in terms of the NCAA, but having been in spring training with you for several years, and then obviously the tournament's always going on when spring training is going on. Uh, you kind of get into it at that point of the, of the year. So, did you see any of that game last night? I did not see that game, but how I found out was on my Facebook page, people like Pete Kurtzel, uh, I saw your, your post talking about how, uh, you know, the team up, made that upset. So, uh, you know, that's how I found out. Well, I'll tell you, it was amazing. And uh, uh, like I said, for the men's game, that's a first. The first time a 16 seed has ever beaten uh, a number one. And, uh for a guy like Glenn Clark who's sitting here with And it was me. an ass-kicking, Greg. It was an ass-kicking. <laughs> we can leave that part out. I mean, it was yeah. a complete beatdown. A complete beatdown against a team that, yeah, has trouble scoring points at times, but defensively, they're pretty much locked <laughs> Never down. allowed 70 points in a game. Never allowed 70 points in a <laughs> game. Never allowed 70 uh, points in a game. Right. And then uh, last night, uh, Jarius Lyles, the senior guard, winds up going off for 28 points and – uh, it's going to be very interesting now to see what they do going forward and can they keep this going. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea, but who cares at this point, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, who cares? It's a 16 Jesus. beating a 1, right? No exactly. doubt, man. Bill, got to ask you a couple of questions as we're uh, about 12 days away from the start of the regular season. Uh, number one, uh, podcast-wise, what are you working on right now? Well, I just worked on, uh, uh, and I also wrote a story on Ken Singleton. Well, we just had him. On, we just had him on the show. Um, who just announced his retirement, as you right. know. And uh, it's always great to have Ken Singleton. Uh, you know, it's always great to talk to him. And uh, you know, I was surprised. This is a guy that was born in New York, raised in New York, but let me tell you, this guy is a Baltimore native through. Oh yeah, through. absolutely. So, uh, and he and he talks about how he. Uh, 
you know, you know, after he retired, he played golf with Tibby Martinez, uh, all those, and Al Bumbery, all Baltimore Orioles players, and uh, the guy really loves being living in Baltimore. Well, right now he's uh, he and his wife have a have a home too in the Tampa area. Correct. And one of the reasons why he wanted to to get out now, uh, yeah, he knows he can still do it uh, and still do it very well. But he just, you know, it's the family, it's the grandkids, and, and when you get to be 70 years old, I guess that's what you think about, right? That's correct. And, uh, you know, especially his grandson, Jackson, he believes that Jackson will become a professional baseball player. Mm-hmm. that good, according to Ken Singleton. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, yes, he wants to be with his family, and uh, that's the bottom line. Well, the bottom line for the Nationals is that they've got uh, – some uh, expectations, as they always do, but under a new manager this year, and Dave Martinez. Uh, but with the way this team is constructed, you have to wonder just how much managing really does Davey have to do, or is this just about writing up that lineup card, let that pitching staff go out there and see what happens? I think it's about lineup card, but also, too, Craig, we got to find out, you know, you know, if he is really going to manage or is Rizzo going to really, like, tell him what to do. Because that was the feeling, you know, when Matt Williams was there. And, you know, I have to take a wait-and-see approach uh, how this team does under, you know, Dave Martinez. Um, it's too early. And I also believe that, uh, you know, I still don't believe they're a championship. They're a World Series uh, title club. I think they'll go to the playoffs. I think they're still the best in the East, but that's as far as it goes. Bill, I'm fascinated by, in Baltimore, we're dealing with this, like, uh, there's this, this, this cloud that just sort of hangs over the franchise because of you know, the pending losses of, of players and no real interest from anyone within the organization to kind of address that. Um, the manager, the general manager have their contracts up. It just sort of seems like nothing is going to be changing anytime soon, and or nothing's going to happen, I guess, anytime soon, and we're just going to allow all these things to play out. I'm wondering how the Harper thing hangs over everybody in D.C., because it feels differently. It's never felt the same way as it's felt in Baltimore, like it's been a fait accompli. It's felt as though there's been some thought that maybe there's a chance that Bryce Harper could stick around, although at this point I have no idea if anybody still even believes that, and I think there's still people that think they might be okay without Bryce Harper. But how does that impact everything and sort of just the entire feeling surrounding the Nationals this year? I I think it helps, too, that Bryce Harper held that press conference and said, if you ask me any questions about two nine, two, uh, 2019, uh, I'm going to walk away. And I think he's made a, a point. That's why we haven't heard much about it, in my opinion. Um, do I think he's going to uh, resign? I have to say right now it's, it's 50-50. I think it depends on how well the Nationals do. I think winning has to play a part in this. I think the Nationals are going to have to go past that first round. Um, in the playoffs in order for them to re-sign Bryce Harper. I don't think it's a matter of money. I just think it's a matter of winning. I mean, they've won during the regular season, but I think it depends on how it goes in, the, in, the, uh, in October. In terms of that, uh, from a pitching standpoint, you obviously have the big three or four, but now that fifth starter position uh, is it going to be A.J. Cole? Is it going to be Eric Fetty? And now the Nationals go out 
and they get Jeremy Hellickson on a minor league deal. And it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. No. We, we saw that yeah. act here last year, Bill, in Baltimore, and I'm going to tell you, after the first start, it wasn't very – it wasn't a very pretty thing terrible. to watch after that. <laughs> it was terrible, Craig. It was terrible. I, I, I saw it, too. Yes, uh, for the Orioles, he was not very good. Um, you know what? I'll tell you this. I'd rather the Nationals go with the young player, uh, meaning Fetty. I'd rather have Fetty there. Um, A.J. Cole has been inconsistent. Uh, you know, I think if they go with Helixson, I think you're going to have a problem. Um, but then again, you, know, you have those four starters, and they're pretty good. But then again, though, I just, you know, I've said this before, and my reason for saying this, I don't think the Nationals are a World Series title club. And because of their bullpen, yes, you know, they have Matson, yes, you, you know, they have some good bullpen guys now. But they don't dominate, man. They, they, you know, there isn't, uh, you know, there isn't a guy you can say, he can blow the opponent away. And, and that's what scares me. And right now, I just don't see that happening. Bill, I, I want to ask you about the Phillies because I, I, I do really wonder. They go out and they get Arietta, and it seems like such yeah. a logical move because of Andy McPhail and because of a, a number of reasons. Correct. But, but I wonder when they believe their time frame is because if you're going to go get Arietta now, there's this thought in my mind, and Stan and I talked about this this week, why wouldn't you turn around and also try to get Alex Cobb and say, let's accelerate this. If we're going to spend the money on El- right. Arietta, let's try to make our time frame now to compete it doesn't seem like they were one Jake Arrieta away from being that team, but maybe Jake Arrieta and Alex Cobb, and suddenly things are different, and that instead of, of having your window be two to three years from now, when Arietta is starting to get to the back end of that deal, you could maybe accelerate it and create a window starting this season. Well, you know, I think with, with the um, acquisition of, of Arietta, I think it does one thing. I think it helps the Phillies mentally. Saying, telling their team, hey, you know what? We got Santana. We got Arietta. This team wants to win now. And, and now, as you see, you, you know, the, uh, the, the Phillies want to, um, they're thinking they can go to the wild card now. So, I mean, I, I think uh, maybe, it's, you know, the spring train's not over yet. And they still could get Cobb. You just never know. So, um, I think it will depend on, you know, how things go early, and then maybe maybe we might see Cobb. Um, you just never know. It's funny because everybody here in Baltimore clamoring about Alex Cobb, saying, "When is he going to get here? When is it? When are the Orioles going to make a move for this?" And here you are, twelve days from the start of the regular season, and while he hasn't signed yet, he's still out there, but. Where do you think his landing spot is, or what team better fits what what Cobb brings to the table? Well, it has to be a winning team, and I don't think the Orioles are ready. I mean, they don't have the pitching to win right now, as you know. But I, I think he's going to go to a team that has a chance to win. There's no way I see him going back to Tampa. Uh, I, you know, I it could be the Phillies. Uh, you know, everyone kept talking about the Yankees for a while. I, you know, I, I don't know yet. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a winning team. Where is he going? It's hard to say, but I don't think it's going to be the Orioles. I, you know, even if they get Cobb, I don't think the Orioles are are good enough to compete against the Yankees or the Red Sox. I, I, just, I just think it's going to be those two teams, maybe the Blue Jays, and that's it. 
Well, and, and I ask you that because you mentioned the Yankees. To me, that seems like something they should do from the standpoint of if there is a if there is a question mark on that team, it is their starting pitching, top to bottom. Well, they seem to be confident in CeCe Sabathia, even though he's no longer the pitcher that we used to pay pitcher we used to see. And, you know, Montgomery, you know, he's going to be the fifth starter. I mean, Aaron Boone announced that. They seem to be confident in what they have. You know, Sonny Gray. I, you know, I, I think with the Yankees, though, they're going to see how the first month goes. And if they need Alex Cobb, if he's still available, then I can see him coming. I mean, look, I, this, this is the tough part for me. Is he still too logical for the Orioles? And while I understand what you're saying about on his side, why would he want to come here? It's infuriating that the Orioles haven't pressed to make this the guy. Again, like it, when I talk about this, the window thing, sure, I don't think they're Alex Cobb away from being particularly good or being able to win the division, but what, what are you doing? You held on to all the players that you held on to. You're going to go out, run the ball out, and try. It would seem like this is the guy that succeeded in the American League East and that's had the opportunity, although he hasn't necessarily always pitched well at Camden Yards, and so there is that one issue. But this would be the guy that you would say, okay, based on all of the other moves we've made, we should have made more of a presto in order to get this guy. I, I, I can see your point, but uh, I just think that the Orioles need more than just Alex Cobb to compete against the Yankees and the Red Sox. Now, obviously, they have Beck Showalter, and I think he's one of the best managers you know, I've ever seen. And they're going to be competitive from a manager standpoint. But they need to do go the extra mile to get more than just Alex Cobb. They, I mean, to me, I think they need more pitching. That's obvious. That's their problem. And I think they need um, some more discipline at the plate. I mean, they have too many strikeouts there. So I think it depends on, uh, you know, I think it depends on, you know, the type of players they can get other than Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb is not going to make them uh, a division-winning team. They're well, not. And that's, that's kind of my feeling on it, too. When you, th- you think about this from I'm the I'm not trying to kid myself in No, that. But, yeah. but, but let's think about it from the standpoint of, okay, you have Bundy and Gosman. You expect them to take the next step. You certainly hope. You certainly hope that's the case. Uh, you have Andrew Kashner, who through two games in, in the spring has allowed right. one run. So far, so good. One, yeah. one run in nine innings, so that's pretty good. You, Tillman's first outing was Ugh. just awful. But then it's like I told Stan earlier. You, you, it's not so much what you're going to do with the, those five. It's what's behind those five in terms of some depth because you just don't need a starting five. You need about seven or eight because guys get hurt. You, you know, somebody goes well, down with a forearm right. injury, you lose them for three weeks, you need people that can step in. I, Heist, I agree with you and Bill, and I'm, I'm not – there's no world in which I would try to suggest that I think Alex Cobb makes the Orioles capable of competing with the Yankees and the Red Sox in the mm-hmm. AL East. I don't believe that. But the point is, you didn't trade away your guys. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you could have done the thing where you say, hey, look, we can't compete 
in for a playoff spot. We're not going to be able to do that. Let's We're not going to spend it up the money. And see, but you yeah. didn't do that. You held on to these guys, and you're losing value every day. It looks like at this point you'll never be able to get anything for Zach Britton. you got to hope that you can re-sign him on a bargain moving forward after the injury. You're not going to get anything more than a compensatory pick likely from Manny Machado unless they bottom out in the first few months, and they can trade him for something still. But he's going to be a rental at that point. You're not going to get a ton from Manny Machado even in July. You've made the moves that you've made. This is who you are. So while I get it, it's not, it's not going to change your ability to win the division, I don't think. If you want to do something based on the other moves that you've made, it would seem like this would be the move worth making or at least worth heavily pursuing, making it difficult for Alex Cobb to say no. Right. And that, right. to me, is the frustrating part, is that it, 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 you just nothing, none of this jives. The moves that you've made to this point but yet not being willing to do this. If you had blown, blown the team up, if you had said, we're dealing everybody, we're taking what we can get, even if it's 70 cents on the dollar, we're going to move into a rebuilding process. We're doing the Astros. We're right. doing, I, yeah. All good. All good. That would be, but based on what you've done, to then not try to pursue Alex Cobb and say, okay, you know, this would be the one thing that we could do that could maybe even make us a contender for a wild card spot. It just doesn't work for me. I, there's, there's no plan. There's no anything here. It's just sort of playing baseball for the sake of playing baseball. Right. But I just don't think they should get Alex Cobb just to say, hey, we'll be able to compete. I mean, I just think that they need more than just Alex Cobb. They need to make some trades. I mean, they need, they need to – it's not just Alex Cobb. I mean, when you look at that Orioles team, I mean, to me, you know, I love Chris Davis. I love the fact they can hit the home runs. But there are too many strikeouts there, too many. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to see some more discipline. It's not just the pitching staff. It's the, uh, it's just the offense. I mean, yeah, I love what they have from the, if you look at the stats, the stats look nice. But, man, those strikeouts, man, those double plays. You know, it's funny. Much. It's funny you mention that. This spring, and I know it's only spring way, training. I feel, the, I, want to say, I feel the same way. John Jay would have been a guy. I was infuriated. that the, mm-hmm. the one skill set they were missing, and here was a guy that was out there for a song, and, and they had no interest in trying to go after him. And I get it. John Jay has his limitations. But what he does is the one thing you don't do. Right. This will tell you a little bit about what you, what you have. And I can't guarantee you that this is going to change probably through the course of the season. But this is just spring training. And I understand that spring training games mean nothing. But the Orioles this spring, 275 average. That's the third best among American League teams. 30 homers, that's third best. 127 runs scored, that is third best. Here's the surprising one. 800 OPS. Now, and that's mm-hmm. that's crazy. 79, right. 79 walks, and that's third. That's part of the OPS thing. Right. But when you oh, look but, but when you look at the pitching staff, 11th in ERA in the league, 12th in whip, 11th in strikeouts, 12th in batting average against and right. they've given up 16 home runs. So, I mean, right. that's the difference in this club. Potentially, what you have offensively, I hear you. you go into it thinking, yeah, they're going to score their fair share of runs, but can they shut anybody down? Right. Right. That's the, that's the key. <laughs> and I think they need more. I mean, Craig, you remember when I called you in September when the Orioles were losing all those games. And I was saying to myself, what happened to the pitching staff? Well, and in September... The pitching staff died. Yeah, in September they were just awful. The whole team was awful. And I think it was a collective kind of, you know, stuff falls, <laughs> rolls downhill. Uh, the pitching was awful. The offense went in a tank in the last month. And, you know, when you, when you think about the end of August, they were thinking, 
you know, we still have a shot at this well, wild Tim Beckham card. Beckham was lighting thing. the world on fire. Yeah, Beckham right. was lighting the world on fire. You're right. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they couldn't get anybody out. And really, they, right. they just stunk in the last month. So we'll see if anything happens differently from that standpoint. Bill, thanks a lot for being with us today. Anytime. Call me anytime. All right. Bill Latz on MLB.com. His uh, podcast you can catch on MLB.com called Newsmakers. And, boy, does he talk to a bunch of people in this yeah, game. Yeah, it's really cool. Really, 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 really cool. Good job. Hi, Steve. I, again, th- this whole thing with Alex Cobb, I, I, I can't overstate this. I don't think Alex Cobb is changing the Orioles' fate. I really don't. And as far as what they're going to do. I don't think that they can compete for a postseason spot. I don't think that Alex Cobb is going to allow them to compete for a postseason spot. But why did you make the other moves or didn't make the other moves? You know, again, you needed to go one of two ways going into this offseason. I've said this all, all along. You either needed to do the things necessary in order to make yourself able to compete in this final year that you have Adam Jones, that you have Manny Machado, and you have Zach Britton, and knowing that Jonathan Scope is coming up the year after that. And, and I think I think from Adam Jones' standpoint, and we've heard him say this, yeah. it's not going to be about money so no, much. No, no. And, and I understand when 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 they say it's never about money, it's always about the money. To and some I, extent, it has that. to be. Right. But for Adam, where he is in his career, he wants to win. That's the point. And maybe that's not here in Baltimore. Well, I don't know how in any world, and as much as he likes it here, and I yeah. think in his heart of hearts he would like to be here, there's no world in which you can even argue that this is the best place to try to win moving forward. So either you needed to do that, either you needed to make the moves necessary to sort of go all in this year while you've got these guys and give yourself an opportunity and maybe keep some of them around, or you needed to blow it up and you needed to move forward. You needed to, to create a new window five years down the road. And you talked about the Astros and the Cubs. And look, I mean, yeah. th- th- those are two examples of how it worked out perfectly. And it doesn't always work out that perfectly, but you need to at least try that. They didn't do those things. And they said just sort of sat here and did nothing. And you're le- left with this feeling of purgatory. Right. Okay, so you made the moves that you made. You didn't make the moves that you didn't make. Why wouldn't you at least try? Why wouldn't you at least sort of try to force Alex Cobb's hands? The markets come back to you. You don't have to offer an absurd amount of money, but you can still offer more than anybody else is to try to get him here in order to give yourself a better chance. Well, one team that didn't get Alex Cobb, no team has gotten Alex Cobb. Right now, yeah, correct. But one team that didn't, so far, is the Washington Nationals. That's true. They well, they have, have a good amount of pitching. They have a good amount yeah. of pitching, but they went out and got somebody that we were very familiar with Lord. last year, and that's Jeremy Hellickson. By the way, watch him have a good season. Well, there's uh, Edwin Jackson all over again. It you is. know what and I mean? You know like, what? watch him have a good season. I was talking to my good friend Mark Zuckerman yesterday. He says, at this point, I'd rather have Edwin Jackson. Oh, man, there's uh, an know, argument for that. There's an argument for that. But we're going to talk to Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post right now, who covers the Nationals on a daily basis. Chelsea, good morning. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Now, first first question out of the shoot has nothing to do with baseball. It has everything to do with the, the Olympics that we just got done with. You were over there. What was that like for you to cover an Olympics? It was crazy. You know, I've done only baseball since 2014 and uh, have never really been further than Europe and never out of the country for more than a couple of days. So it was, uh, it was crazy to be in Korea in the first place and then to be somewhere where like every day was basically World Series equivalent with gold medals and stuff like that. It was it was pretty crazy and like unforgettable. Were you able to cover any of the women's uh, hockey team? Yeah, I got to do the gold medal game. Which uh, was really cool. I it was uh that was a really special kind of moment and it was fun to know that everyone at home was like still up watching and stuff like that. So that was really cool. All right, uh, Jeremy Hellickson in the fold uh, at least uh, as a minor league uh, contract at this point. 
But uh, certainly I would think that he's got to be considered uh, the guy, one of the guys for the fifth starter spot. Yeah, you know, I, I think he's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, he's coming in in shape. He's been pitching, um, you know, in Scott Boris's sort of impromptu camp facility that he's had. And so, he, you know, he's been working, and, and I think he can, you know, pretty much jump right in here, which should help. But and his numbers are pretty comparable to A.J. Cole's over the last couple seasons. But, you know, helixon has got a long track record. He, he won Rookie of the Year with Dave Martinez, his bench coach, and, you know, I, I think he's just got a long history of, of being reliable, um, if not, you know, a shutdown guy. So I think he'll get every chance in the world to get that job. And I think maybe being with a contending team for the first time, you know, obviously got traded to the Orioles last year when they were still in it, but, you know, they weren't in it forever. So, you know, I, I think he'll just kind of be, be uh, galvanized by that. And I think the Nats are sort of betting that this setting will be good for him. Well, the, you just brought up an interesting point in that Davey Martinez, the Nats' new manager, has seen some of Cobb's best. I mean, have seen some of Hellickson's best work uh, when he Cobb was in Tampa. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think he um, that familiarity is only going to help. And and Hellickson, um, like I said, he won Rookie of the Year. He had his best years there. Uh, and he, you know, he kind of grew up there with Dave Martinez as a, as a presence. You know, Martinez is the bench coach. That's the guy that those guys go to for the stuff they don't want to tell their managers. So I think there's a real relationship there and a lot of sort of confidence and. Um, you know, Hellison's an athletic guy who didn't pitch well last year, and, and uh, but you know, if you've got AJ Cole and Eric Fetty and Edwin Jackson, none of them are sure things. Maybe bring in another guy cheap who's a little bit of a sure thing, and and see if he sticks. And if he doesn't, you're not really risking much, you know, to take that look. Right, exactly. But uh, one guy we know we don't have to look at very much is Max Scherzer, uh, and I know it's only spring training, but the guy is three and zero in four starts. Uh, 14 innings pitched, 21 strikeouts. Get this, a whip of .36. <laughs> uh, it's, it's almost like, I mean, it's almost like... Uh, you me he's good? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying breaking he's, news. he's pretty good. Yeah. There's breaking news. But, I mean, it's almost like Max is just like, yeah, we're just kind of gearing up for the, the start on opening day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's looked amazing. I don't, you know, the, the start, his last start was night game against the Mets, and it was... I mean, it, it looked like it's, you know, September, and it, it was unbelievable. And I think he's so grateful to be healthy after having to use, you know, a three-fingered grip last year and having the knuckle all messed up and, and all the little stuff he dealt with during the season last year I think was, was really troublesome to him, even if it didn't seem that way. And uh, I think he's just really excited to be healthy, and it shows. You know, you sort of wonder when the decline's coming, and you knock on wood every time you think about it, but... He looks like he's better. It's amazing, but you know, and, and a lot of scouts have said the same. So he's ready, and and that's huge. You know, it, you know, Max Scherzer, another year of Max Scherzer at peak form, and the Nats have just won that contract without a doubt. And you know, you could argue they already have, but you know, he looks ready to give them at least that, if not more. We've only got Chelsea James for a few more minutes because uh, she will be attending a press conference with Jeremy Hellickson uh, coming up shortly. But I, I got to ask you this. Uh, in terms of Ryan Zimmerman, comeback player of the year last year, we know what the numbers were, but is there been a, a specific plan for him this spring? Because he's really only played in one game, has a couple of at-bats, but I'm assuming there's been a lot of minor league game action and a lot of in-cage work. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that the plan this year has been the Ryan Zimmerman plan. I think Dave Martinez, you know, I don't, my sense is that he came in and said, what do you want? And if you know Ryan Zimmerman at all, you know that he would rather spring training not exist at all. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, 
he thinks he can get ready quick and he doesn't feel like he needs those miles on his body. And even yesterday morning he was talking about it, about how many games they play. And so I understand why people are worried that he hasn't been out there. But truly, I mean, I, I think he thinks it's the best way to preserve his health. I think the Nats think it's the best way to preserve his health. And I, you know, I think he's okay. And he's out on the field today. He put a bunch of balls out of the park in BP. So he looks great. And I think he's just found someone who understands his thoughts on spring training, and he's taking advantage of that in a way that's probably going to help him, you know, down the stretch. We went through the press conference, obviously, in the offseason with Davey Martinez when he was introduced, but now that you've gotten a chance to be around him in the last couple of weeks here in spring training after you got back from the Olympics, what's it been like, and and how is he to deal with? Honestly, it's been a blast. You know, I, it, it's hard to really know. I know I've asked Max Scherzer about this a lot, and, and he says you don't know anything about these guys until – you know, you're in a losing streak in June or August, and I think that's probably true, but at least early on, Martinez is just incredibly laid back, um, which is something I think these guys need, honestly. You know, this has been a pretty uptight team for a long time, and, and even with Dusty, who wasn't an uptight guy, there was just this, this you know, this weight, you know, and, and I think he's really lifted that this year and, and made them feel like they don't have to worry about every little thing, that they're just good, you know, that they can trust that they're good. And, you know, if something goes wrong, maybe that whole vibe changes. But it, it's noticeably more laid back and goofy. And um, for a veteran team with guys like Zimmerman and, and, you know, Bryce and whoever that know what they need to do, they don't need to have their hands held, I think that's a really good fit. And I think, um, you know, we'll see if it ends up being that way. But it's been fun. And, I you know, that's not something you could really say in past years when there just felt like there was pressure and it, it never really let up. A lot of uh, expectations on this team. And Davey's been basically handed the keys to the Cadillac by Mike Rizzo. Uh, so this is really un, not too much unlike a situation that Matt Williams walked into, that Dusty Baker walked into. You're being handed the keys to the car with a team that's basically ready to win now. How does that change what maybe Martinez does in terms of his managerial thought process uh do you just let the guys go out and play uh I know there's a certain uh, analytical thing uh that they talked about during the off season as far as well you know the the, the analytical part from a manager standpoint we know he's real good about having been around Joe Madden all those years yeah, you know, the, the early reviews from everyone are that the shifting sense is a little different. There's going to be more of that. And just a, a little bit, you know, today Harper is leading off, which he said will never happen again. But, you know, Tanner Roark's sitting eighth. And he's like, you know, well, we probably won't make a habit of this, but there are times when maybe it makes sense. And, and little stuff like that that sort of lets you know that they're always thinking is something the players notice, too, you know, that they're always kind of trying to find that little tiny edge. And I think that, you know, you don't want to tinker for tinkering's sake, but you know, to really be taking the information that's available, the Nats have added a couple guys in their analytics department, you know, to be taking that information and looking for an edge daily, you know, in little tweaks like that, shows the players that you're trying to give them an edge daily and then therefore makes them think you have their back. So I think it's just a really, you know, it's a change. You know, people feel how they feel about Dusty not being here, but what they do have here is somebody that the players seem to trust and, and who has hired an incredibly energetic staff and, um, you know, it's different than Dusty. We'll, I guess we'll find out if it's better or worse, but it seems to be working right now, and, we'll, you know, I, I guess you hope that that continues to when it actually matters. 
It, it, it's funny you mentioned Harper hitting uh, leadoff today because we had Kenny Singleton on earlier, uh, and he was talking about his days with the Orioles where Earl Weaver called him into the office and said, you're leading off today. And he said, I never hit leadoff. And he says, but here's my thought process. He says, you, you walk a lot, you look at a lot of pitches, you get on base, and let's see how this works out. And, uh, and for, the, for the few times that Kenny did that, it worked out very well in terms of him scoring runs and things of that nature. So maybe there is something because we know Bryce likes to look at a lot of pitches. He does walk a lot. So that's something to, to think about from an analytical standpoint. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's something that probably won't happen a lot, but we did see those guys hit Anthony Rizzo lead off a yeah. couple times. And um, it's, it's just, it, they just haven't ruled anything out, you know, and I think today it's more Bryce played the last two days. They want to get him a couple of bats quick and get him out, but, and they don't want Eaton leading off in his first game back. Um, but it's, it's, on, it's, it's on the radar in a way that it never was. And um, I just think that that's sort of the, the most telling part is they're willing to consider everything and anything. And um, they've got a relationship already with the players, you know, Martinez and the staff that allows them to talk those things through. And, you know, that formed pretty quick, and I think that's a good sign. What's, uh, who's pitching today for the Nationals against the, uh, against the Mets? Uh, Tanner. Tanner Roark. All right. So he, he'll probably be in there a while, actually. Yeah, I, mean, I figure right now you have 12 days left. This is about the time starters go five, a little bit more, I would think, trying to stretch out, right? Yeah, definitely. So he, this should be his, uh, I think, probably next to last start down here, and he'll probably get a good good workout in well chelsea james of the washington post down with the nationals we appreciate the time uh enjoy jeremy hellickson we did last year here in baltimore <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely thank you thanks for having me all right thanks a lot we're going to take a time out and when we come back glenn and i'll wrap up the show and uh probably talk a little bit about uh, umbc some more well, I mean, it's a baseball <laughs> show but i don't mind <laughs> we'll be back right after this Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash impact. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. 
The experts at Towson Orthopedic Associates understand that sports injuries can happen at any time. That is why we are extending our practice hours until 7.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday at our Bologna Avenue location. A sports medicine specialist will be on site to better treat injuries when they happen. We stay late because you play late. For more information, visit TowsonOrtho.com slash after hours. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard, in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. I'm Jill Powell. Each day I'll bring you the latest from the floor of the Maryland General Assembly. I'll speak with the newsmakers and feature the sound that is shaping the future of Maryland. Be sure to catch the Maryland Capital Report at any time at marylandnewsnetwork.net. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at facebook.com slash pressboxsports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. That's right, Glenn Clark Radio. You can hear him Monday through Friday, 10 to 12, right here in now, now let's. If I had been on wait, today, wait, I might have been four hours. Might have been okay. Yeah, uh, Kyle Ottenheimer. Right now, the 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 facelift that he got the other day. Kyle looks good. <laughs> he looks good, man. I think he should join a Kiss cover band. I got to yeah. be honest with you. He looked real good. Yeah, but d- d- you know, d- Kiss liked that photo on Twitter. Really? Yeah. yeah Are yeah. you kidding? That was really cool. That it was, was really that cool. Was pretty Kiss, cool. Kiss liked it, but it didn't do anything. Change his voice or anything like that. No, no. He's made his voice. Are you kidding yeah. me? He's got the the golden pipes, man. Right. What are you talking about. Uh, let's, uh, you know, we were talking about spring training a little bit now. This is the, this is what the Nats move from Vieira right, to, to West, Palm. West Palm meant for them. They got the Mets today who come down from Port St. Lucie about maybe a half hour, 45 minutes away. Then they play in Jupiter against the Cardinals and the Marlins back to back. And you're only talking about maybe 15, 20 minute drive at most from, from West Palm to Jupiter. The Marlins at home, they share the complex with the Marlins. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Marlins at home, they share the complex with the Astros. So they have the Astros the next day. Then it's the Mets, the Astros, the Marlins, Marlins and Cardinals. You know, the, the, the trip is n- non-existent, basically. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're driving yeah, yeah. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's, that's great. As, that's... Oppo- as opposed to the Astros were the closest thing to them. Right. It was an hour one way. Right. Yeah, but they lose they lose that hot dog joint that everybody likes so badly. What was that place called? Uh, it was like a joint that did hot dogs right there. That everybody, whenever they would go down there, everybody always liked going to that place. Oh yeah, I forget the name of it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, sorry. Nat, Nat, <laughs> Screeching halt. So, so the Nats, the Nats there. Uh, they take on the Mets today. Tanner Roark, as you heard uh, Chelsea James say, uh, is the starter today 
for the Nationals. Uh, the Orioles, uh, they got a Blue Jays today. They got uh, right on the mound. Can you see any way this pitching staff improves between now and opening day just in terms of who will be in it? Oh, how? <laughs> I mean, well, I'm just saying. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Cobb is out there. Okay, yeah, so that's the one way. That's I mean, the that's one the way. one way. There's nothing else out there but at this it, point. But in terms of what Dan Duquette said earlier, right. in terms of saying we'd like to get another starter out of the people we have in camp. <sighs> There's been nothing. So, okay. So Noah's out of the equation right mm-hmm. now. Um, Nestor Cortez, look, we always know this about the Orioles. They love protecting assets as much as possible, right? And so the word at the moment is that Arojo is the guy of the three Rule 5 picks that looks like he's got a spot on the roster. Yeah. He looks like he can be a, a long man. He could he could have that type of role. He would be the guy. Once you know, TJ McFarlane ultimately ended up in a role where he was a lefty specialist, but when he his first year, his Rule 5 year, Remember, he was just more of a long man. He was more of a, we got to protect this guy, so we don't really have a role for him. Let's give him. Right. Arojo appears to sort of be that guy this year. So that would probably eliminate. I cannot fathom, knowing they have to keep Santander to start the season. For 45 days. Right. Yeah. I cannot fathom them using a third roster spot on a player. If they keep Santander and Arojo, that's two roster spots that you're giving to somebody that doesn't really deserve to be on the team. But you're giving it to him anyway just for the sake of protecting an asset. Could they try to get clever? Could either uh, – Cortez more likely – Mesa apparently has not been good. No. Um, so could they suddenly try to come up with an injury for Cortez and do the thing that they did with Santander a year ago, keep him until August, then get him on the roster for you know a handful of days and extend this thing out? Look, they love protecting assets, man. They love trying to do everything they can in order to keep an asset around somehow, some way. I, the, none of them have panned this, this goofy bit where we say, hey, the Orioles have found talent in the Rule 5 draft. The Orioles have not found a replacement-level player yet in the Rule 5 draft. Ryan Flaherty has been by far, I mean, under, under Duquette. And they know, found Jeremy Guthrie once upon a time in the Rule 5 draft, but that was before Duquette. Ryan Flaherty has been by far the best of the group. He's, he's replacement-level at best. They don't have a guy who has a career one war that they found from the Rule 5 draft. So right. I'm, I'm over it. I'm sick of all the nonsense they do to keep the guys around. But it's just what they do. So Cortez... Why fight it? <laughs> I, that's the, I mean, the problem is really like somebody's got to be the one to say, you guys, there's no track record here. This thing that we keep doing where they say, well, the Orioles have found some interest. No, they haven't. They haven't found anybody in the Rule 5 draft that's been a valuable baseball and player. And you talk right? about Flash. You know there's a possibility he could Oh, he's back definitely going to be back. What are we yeah. talking Craig, yeah. he's absolutely. He'll be on opening day. Right. He's going to be on the opening day <laughs> roster. Right. But the opt-out for him is like next week, right, Something, with the Phillies. Yeah. He will 1,000% be the Orioles. First of all, they don't have a utility infielder otherwise. Right. They're going to – I guess Danny Valencia would be asked to – you know, maybe get them through if they had to because they like his bat against lefties for good reason. I actually I like Danny Valencia because he actually does something. He offers you something, but it's a very minimal thing that he offers. He what do you What do you think about Santander sticking with this club past the forty five days? Well, I mean, he's with he's, the way he's, he's had a good spring, yeah, right? He's had, yeah, a, good he's had a good spring. I, I think. Look, Joey Ricker had a good spring, or you know, and yeah, and, but that was an injury issue with Joey Ricker. Sure, but I guess what I'm saying. This doesn't I mean, mean to in me all that fairness. Anthony, I hear you, but this doesn't mean to me that Anthony Santander is a major league baseball player yet. He's got to prove that. Yeah. I think he's going to get some at bats because you know how Buck is. Buck does not. When any, ever any of these guys are on the roster, even if Buck doesn't agree with them being there, Buck doesn't love giving away roster spots. But if they're there, he's going to have them get at bats. They're going to play. Buck uses the guys that he has on his team. I, I know you, you could somebody would bring up second year of Hyunsoo Kim as sort of the argument against that, but. 
for the most part, Buck uses the guys that he has. And and you know it's funny. We 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 always talk and we saw things on the internet about uh, Kim and his bat and the on base and things of that nature. And then all of a sudden he goes somewhere else. He doesn't fit so well. And no, then, right. And now he's out of the country playing overseas again. Well, the frustrating part about Kim was just that he again. What I brought up with John Jay, he offered something that nobody else offered. Mm-hmm. I never tried to argue that Hunsu Kim was some great baseball player, but he actually took some pitches. Right. He actually had the ability to work and at bat, which nobody else on this team can do. Right? Yeah. They don't do. So that was my argument for Hunsu Kim was just. He gives you something that you don't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. This one skill set that nobody ha- nobody on this team works in at bat. Nobody on this team takes any pitches. Nobody on this team tries to get on base in any sort of way. And Hunsu Kim could get some hits, although I get it. His second year he wasn't. I'm not really I don't really want to revisit Hunsu Kim. I'm not yeah. really trying to do that. What about Colby Rasmus in terms of uh, What do you think Colby club? Rasmus is gonna do for well, this? Well, I'm team just crew? saying. Yeah, I mean I mean he's gonna be on the team. There's no doubt about that. He's gonna be on the team. Right. Uh, he is a plus outfielder, I think. Uh, but whether or not you know he he can hit and hit consistently enough to right. help this team right. is another issue. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have any expectation that Kobe Rasmus will be anything more than a two fifty guy that has a little bit of pop. You know, stuff. He's redundant to me. Is mm-hmm. what he is. He's not quite as good at the things that you're already good at. Now, in fairness, with Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo both likely to be out for opening day. Well, no, uh, Davis is due back today in the lineup. Oh, is he? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Davis I, is right. due back today. All right. Well, then that that changes a lot of things. But Trumbo yeah. probably not going to be around at this point for for opening day. No, but that that means too, if Trumbo's not around for opening day, since he starts the year on the DL. No, it helps with the I, Santander I would, thing. I was helps with the Santander thing, but it also probably helps Pedro Alvarez as well. <sighs> I would have to do the math. I would. I think Valencia has a guaranteed spot on the roster. Okay. I think Alvarez, they believe, would go to the minors. Valencia won't. He mm-hmm. won't go to the minors. But based on what happened a year ago, I think they believe that Alvarez would go to the minors and they can protect him that way. So I don't think they're quite as inclined. I also think they really want Craig Gentry on the team. Um, and, 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 and again, this also comes back to do you bring back Flaherty or not? I think there's a world in which you could not carry in a utility infielder and just say, look, Tim Beckham's our utility infielder. If one of those two guys gets hurt, right, if there was an injury in, the, in a game involving Machado or Scope, we'd slide Beckham over to play that position, and then we have insert Chris Davis can go play third base in a pinch if we have to have him. Like, to me, I, I don't even know that it has to be Flaherty. I would actually argue against carrying a utility infielder at this point because I don't think there's anybody that offers you so much. Now, Flaherty at least can go play in the outfield. There's flexibility with Flaherty. But the thing with Flaherty, too, is that... Uh, well, and Buck loves him. No, Well, Buck loves him, but the other part about it is if you're going to be a utility guy, you have to be able to play shortstop without question. And Flaherty can play shortstop. Correct. I, I mean, I, I hear you, but again, I, I think you could get away with... You could always call somebody up the next day you could get away for a game with having to survive with Chris Davis playing third and moving Beckham over to play short, mm-hmm. right? Like, you could get away with that. I don't think you need to give away a roster spot, it's certainly if it's going to be Ruben Dejada. If it's going to be somebody they have, Eng- Engvel, Eng- Engvel Vilma, whatever that, <laughs> yeah. Engel, I don't even know what the guy's name is. Um, if it's going to be somebody like that, why are you giving a roster spot to that guy even over a professional hitter that could help you off the bench moving forward? I just, I don't think it's so necessary when you think about the idea that you could survive a game and then call somebody up if somebody actually is hurt for a couple of days. You could get away with that moving forward. I don't think you need a utility infielder. I do get that there's value with Flaherty, and so if it is Flaherty, I think he'll be on the roster. 
But if it's not Ryan Flaherty, I just don't. I, I can't give. I can't justify a roster spot to Ruben Tejada. How could you give Ruben Tejada a roster spot when he's just there's there's nothing there. He's he just doesn't offer anything as a baseball player. Right. So I'm, uh, you know, I, yeah. I'm interested to see what Caleb Joseph does as a full time catcher. Yeah, I'm interested to see too, like what what they envision. I I still don't know for sure that Chance Cisco is on the team. Like, what, there's this ultimate argument: if Ch- Caleb Joseph is going to be your everyday catcher, are you better off with Chance Cisco here to play every fourth day, every third? You know, do they make it more yeah. of a, a split than it is him being a, a true backup? Or are you better off having him continue to try to develop as a catcher in AAA and keeping, say, Austin wins as the backup, who you like as a catcher, but it doesn't have the offense of a, of a Chance Cisco? That, to me, is one of the more interesting things that we still have to figure out. Does the out. name Jeff Tackett ring a bell? Absolutely. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Tackett. I remember him hitting a grand slam against Detroit. Jeff Tackett also but was... A what guy was the movie that Jeff Tackett was in? What was the movie that... I don't... I have no idea. No. Jeff Tackett, I believe it was called Ed. Ed. It was a movie about a president. Hang on a second. I'm okay. going to figure out what movie well, it was. Well, for, for me, Jeff Tackett, yes, he hit a grand slam, but uh, he couldn't hit a lick. Oh, no, he wasn't a hitter at all. He's like a 210 yeah, hitter. For he his couldn't career. hit a yeah, lick. He was terrible. But so, so basically, he was a reliable backup he catcher. He was a reliable backup catcher, right. right. So, um, Stan, I, I don't know how much more. I say let Cisco go down to the minor leagues and catch as much as he can. Unless you're going to have him play regularly. Mm-hmm. If your vision for catcher, if Buck looks at this and says, we think we could truly split time between these two guys. We trust. They obviously trust Caleb. They love Caleb Joseph, and Caleb has shown with some playing time he can hit more than Jeff Tackett can. Right? Like he's not a zero as a hitter. He's not a great hitter, but he's not a zero as a hitter. He can hit a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's a reliable catcher. They like obviously for good reason. They like Caleb Joseph. But if they envision more of a split, more of it being closer, maybe not fifty fifty, but closer to like sixty forty as far as playing time is concerned then that would be a scenario by which I'd be okay with Chance Cisco being here. But short of that, if it's not going to be a scenario where Cisco's getting regular at-bats and regular playing time, I don't think it helps him or the team for him to be here. I think you just carry Austin Wins, or I guess you could still carry Susak. I think Wins is, is the guy, though, as right. your backup catcher. And then you see, if Caleb Joseph goes into a month where he's really scuffling at the plate, and you see that Chance Cisco is lighting the world on fire, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. you can they, make that move. They say they trust him more as a catcher. That was always the issue with Cisco was him defensively, mm-hmm. right? But they're saying they trust him more as a catcher, and at this point, there's no other position for him to play. Right. Davis and Trumbo are both here for a few years, and they're probably untradeable. So there's not going to be another spot that you can move him to. You're going to have to develop him as a catcher if he's going to be here. The only way he can develop as a catcher is if he gets the opportunity to play at this level. I think the other thing to look at, too, this year and to keep an eye on is Trey Mancini. And can he duplicate what he did last year? Uh, if you like what you've seen in spring training so far this year, you would have to say yes. No, of course. And the right. one thing, the one thing, I, I, you know, I had guys tell me scouts. By the way, Craig, me, I don't know if you heard, but he's on the cover of the new yes, print there, edition well, there we go. of Press there Box go. right there. there. Story written by uh, Steve Ginsburg, who is, of course, the uh, the better looking of the Ginsburgs. Right, and um, and, and works harder than far harder, <laughs> far harder. Um, and it's a, like again, it's a great story. I was a Trey Mancini, not a doubter, because I liked him so much when he was coming through the system. We talked a lot. I really liked Trey, so I wasn't a doubter, but I was always like, uh, okay, we'll see. You know, like the the stretch of the final week of the 2016 season, I was a uh, let's not get carried good away. Way, right. He had a good week, you know, like let's not. But I'm I'm fully in the Trey Mancini believer category. I am too, point. and and from this standpoint, I, I had I had scouts tell me. Two years earlier, that this guy's bat was major league ready. Yeah, but it's a matter of what you know whether he's going to play first base, whether he's going to play the outfield. 
and with Davis at first, what he what he proved last year in terms of just getting better with every day he was in the outfield speaks volumes about the person and the player, I think. Because yeah. he's very coachable and he's very humble. Well, I think this this leads to the secondary question, which is why wouldn't you just let Austin Hayes be the right fielder? Right. And I think that it's the Mancini comparison that people are thinking of. Like, if a guy just gets an opportunity, could you end up finding something there? Could you catch lightning in a bottle? You sort of know what Colby Rasmus can be. Mm-hmm. And it's not great. It's it's fine. He's major league capable, but he's never been high level. Could you find something in Austin Hayes if you just said, the hell with it, we're going to give him a chance? Mm-hmm. And we're going to see if he can't be somebody that can get on base, that can offer you maybe a little bit of speed somehow in the lot. Could you just give him the try to be the guy and see what might happen, a la what you did with Trey Mancini a year ago? And I'm not opposed to that. It's pretty clear at this point they're not going to do that on opening day. But I would not be opposed to just saying, you know what, it worked with with Mancini. Maybe it could work with Austin Hayes as well. I know you got to wrap up, but I wanted to ask you something beforehand. Yeah. Um, this week, minor league baseball announced that they're going with the extra inning rules. That they're I hate starting. It. I figured you would. I hate it. I figured you I, would. I can understand. I think in the from, minor league, it's the perfect. In the minor leagues, it's. I can understand it because nobody wants to sit there with a possibility of going 18, 19 innings and that kind of stuff. But how often does that happen? Is my point. Well, um, not frequently, no. But it's not. I, I, and, how, and how does the rule apply to pitchers? I mean, in other words, guy right, goes out they, there, gets second base. Right. The guy hits a base hit. The guy scores. Yeah, and do they, do is, they does that charge with the run? Pitch? Yeah, I don't know. You know. I don't know how that. They'll have to figure that out statistically, yeah. and that'll be something for somebody else. I would say at the minor league level, it's almost a no brain. It's not good for anybody. Minor league. Nobody wants to be in a minor league baseball game for nine innings to begin with. Like nobody's going to minor league games for nine innings. It's a different experience. It's fan friendly. It's a family event. It's there's some cool giveaway before mascots and right. things of that. It's nature. not you're not there to watch nine innings worth of baseball. Well, some you know would I mean? argue you're not there to watch nine innings of baseball at a major. Unfortunately, league game in a lot of places that's probably true. Well, that's what I'm saying, and that's the case. But because most people are on their cell phones and everything you're, you're, else. But particularly at the minor league level. All of them would say, dude, there's nothing good for us about playing even 13 innings of baseball. The idea of us playing anything more than nine is terrible. It's terrible for us. We're, we're on a shoestring budget trying to make this work to begin with. We're not getting anything. There's no added. We can't sell any more hot dogs. We have to turn the concessions off at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's also the argument for why, unfortunately, and I know you're going to hate it, but it's probably going to happen at the Major League level at yeah. some point. They, they've lost me when that happens. Um, I think they won't do it after nine. I think, that we, we t- I think they'll probably push it to 12, you know, like something like that before they'll do it. And they could never do it in the postseason. That would be an abomination. Um, but I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to be because Masson can't sell any more advertising when the game goes to extra innings. Leave the game alone. I love you. I love you, pal. I think it's going to happen. <laughs> I think it's going to happen. <laughs> That's going to do it for us on the bat around. Stan will be back next Saturday. I will be in here with him, I think. I don't even know what my schedule looks like next week. And uh, we'll uh, – Talk more baseball next week on the bat around. Uh, thanks a lot, Brittany, for uh, making sure everything runs smoothly. Thanks for coming in. Love you, buddy. Happy to do it. Yeah, and uh, go retrievers. Go retrievers, and let's let's hope this is the start of a long run, at least till the Sweet Sixteen. Oh my God! Oh, Can you my believe God. that they what get a week. to the Sweet? What a week we would have here, dude! This has been such like a because the Orioles and there's not a lot of hope, and the Ravens doesn't look good either, and Maryland basketball By the way, stinks. <laughs> that's a, now, like, I'd go a few more minutes here. Yeah. 
What the hell were they thinking? Uh, it's really, it's bad, dude. It's bad. It's, you know, I mean, now, like, I, know I Ryan, get it ultimately. Michael Crabtree is probably a better football player, but it's not a good week. He's a better football player. But but you're when you're thinking about Ryan Grant, you're thinking about a guy who's not missed missed time because of injury. He's yeah, but durable. it never made sense to sign him to a four year deal to begin with. And with that kind of money, it's right? Ridiculous. It was illogical. Like it was illogical. And then uh, the whole dude, the whole thing's really bad. But I'm saying, dude, I've been dealing. You come in here to do this every day mm-hmm. here, right? Like mm-hmm. at least when you're down in D.C., there's somebody that's that's you know the Capitals are playing pretty well or something, right? Yeah, the or Wizards, the, wi- well, the Wizards yeah, are playing yeah. pretty well. I've got three things. But that then you can, look down the road, and there's Dan Snyder. Well, I hear still, you. You're right. I'm not, trying to, the I'm not trying to argue that things are great there. <laughs> but I'm saying there's three things that we talk about locally, right? There's three things here. The Orioles, there's very little hope, mm-hmm. right? The Ravens, it's as bleak as it's been in in almost their entire history. Yeah. Uh, Maryland basketball is a nothing. Is a non. You can't get a Maryland basketball conversation started around here. Right. We are so desperate for something. If somehow this week we could have UMBC in a Sweet 16. I mean, it would just change. This city would just have so much and, life. And we'll find out tomorrow. Oh, God. Would it be great? It would be really special, man. All right. Craig Heiss, Glenn Clark. Stan will be back next week. We'll see you. Have a good week, everybody.